I'm Biran Garhi, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to the person they always laugh with, to the book they always laugh at. Third policeman, Flann O'Brien. I was in the play version of that in college. Fuck off, were you? Yeah. Was it good crack? Unreal. There you go now. The one and only blind boy is my guest this week. In my first live recording of the podcast at this year's Electric Picnic, he told me about what it was like to shoot to fame with his best friend, Mr. Chrome, the pain he felt when he lost his cat and how that relationship will never be replicated and how the rejection he experienced age 17 was the best thing that could have happened to him. I hope you enjoy. Um, so I just walked in a few minutes ago and was like, oh, the previous podcast must be just wrapping up. Um, but it wasn't. This crowd is here for, for this and I'm absolutely blown away. But um, I'm not under any illusion that some people haven't a clue who I am and they're just here to see Blind Boy as well. So that's fine. I'm cool with it. It's fine. Um, welcome along. Uh, I came up with the idea for the last of your life uh, around this time last year. I was obsessed with Desert Island Discs. Did anyone listen to Desert Island Discs? And I just loved the concept, and obviously I couldn't steal the BBC's idea, so I was like, right, what can I do that's similar? What, you know, benchmarks throughout an interview that kind of shape it. And uh, laughter is what I love the most, I suppose. And so I didn't want it to just be all fun and games. I wanted it to be feeling laughed at, or if I didn't laugh, I'd cry moments, and so on and so forth. So that's what, what it's all about. Um, I was absolutely shook to the core when Blind Boy uh, agreed to do this. So he doesn't need any introduction. And I also, um, with my podcast, I don't really big up my guests too much at the start because that just makes me nervous. I just am like, okay, we're just two humans having a chat. It's fine. So I won't make a big deal. And without further ado, will you welcome, please, the magnificent Blind Boy. Hello. Oh wait, we got, can you hear me? One, two, one, two, one, two. Can you hear that? Can I have a little bit more volume in the microphone, please? <laughs> this is my one, podcast, two, one, two. Postman, postman. Right, there you go. <laughs> What's the crack there, then? How are you getting on, blind boy? I'm grand, just doing my thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, we met today for the first time. Yeah. But I've seen you in the charts. You see? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what, the <laughs> podcast charts? The podcast charts, yeah. I haven't looked at them in fucking... I, at the start of the podcast, I was like, the novelty of it being high up in the charts. Right. But then I just stopped because... Um, I stopped looking at it. Right. Hold on, I'm going to take my hat off. Because I can, I can hear better. I, uh, I just find it's, it's... I never made the podcast for it. I didn't think it was going to be popular, first of all. And then when I started to look at the charts every week, I was going, fuck it, this isn't what I'm here for. And if, if it started to kind of... It's mainly my mother's fault, actually. Because in Limerick, on the local paper, the Limerick Post, they'll have the iTunes charts of podcasts every week. So my ma will ring me up and go, I see David McWilliams is doing better <laughs> than you. Yeah. And I'd just say, ma, will you shut the fuck up? Because when you start to worry about things like charts... Yeah. Like... The reason anything will ever be anything creative ever becomes popular is if the person themselves is passionate about it and they love it and they like what they're doing, then it tends to become successful. But if you start wondering about what is a good podcast, uh, what do people like about the podcast, sure, you're out the window. Then you can't. Yeah. If you care about the charts, it affects the content. Exactly. Like I, I 
Last week's podcast, I spent a half an hour talking about bins in the Argos catalogue. <laughs> and yeah, I did it almost as an act of rebellion because I was part of me was going, shit, should I be making something engaging or should I be making something that I actually want to talk about? And for a good half hour, I was very passionate about bins. So I fucking, <laughs> that's what I did. Okay, shall we get down to business? Yeah, am I sub- like, I'm no way prepared for yeah, this. Yeah, I know, I sent him on the questions and I met him earlier. I was like, so how did you find the questions? He's like, yeah. Didn't look at them. Ah, it'll be grand, it'll be grand. Okay, Blind Boy, your first memory of laughter. Oh, bollocks. Um, <laughs> I'm going I'm to have to go Freudian on this now because when, when, you, when you said that to me, I didn't think of laughter. I thought about when I was two years of age and a dog tried to bite my face. So, which wasn't funny. Actually, no. So, I can't think of my first memory of laughter. It'll come to me in a minute. But childhood. I, childhood laughter. What was it? And why were you laughing? Again, my head isn't going to laughter, Darren. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm vigi- it's, this is my first ever memory. Right. And it's me on the ground with this big red setter over me. And he was growling, and then he disappeared. Because my neighbor, had, who was an ex-rugby player, had kicked him like a rugby ball. <laughs> so, actually, you know what? Yeah, that's kind of funny. Actually, no, kicking dogs isn't funny at all. Kicking a dog if you're trying to save a child getting eaten by a dog is funny. Look, Darren, I don't know. Um, okay, can I ask you? I don't know, one of my brothers making funny faces or something, I right. don't know. So what was life like in your house? Um... I, I was, I'm, I'm a lot younger than all my brothers and si- I've one sister and four brothers and I'm a lot younger so it was basically they were all teenagers and I was a baby so they were just cursing all the time and my parents just didn't there was no point teaching me not to curse because I was surrounded by teenagers so do you know what there was a lot of laughter a lot of laughter because my brothers are gas cunts so I mean, yeah, I, I mean, the first time I laughed at anything on TV. Yeah. I don't know, Tom and Jerry was all right, wasn't it? Yeah. Go crack. The Den. The Den. I never laughed at the... Did I laugh at the Den? <laughs> I used to get too obsessed with... When I became cognizant of the Den, so I would have been very young and zig and zag are there and you're just dealing with it. You're not critically thinking, going, what the fuck is this? You're just going... This is how people are in Dublin. It's fine. <laughs> they used to say Donny Brook a lot, so I'm just going, okay, that's a Donny Brook. Those people are Donny Brooks. It was when uh, Saki came in, and then I was just, I couldn't deal with it because I'm like, those are not eyeballs, they're golf balls. <laughs> and I was very aware that he had a pair of golf balls for eyes. Right. So I. I that kind of ruined it for me. And then I started going, oh, they're not people from Danny Brook. They're puppets and someone's hand is up their arse. That's terrifying. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. I don't know. Okay. I do, you know, I, I do so much laughing that I can't remember. Right, that's, that's, that's good. Okay, the first time... Kinda, it kind of undermines the whole nature of your podcast. Yeah, no, you kind of just it? shit all over it, but we won't, yeah. we, won't, we, won't, we won't dwell. Okay. The first time you felt laughed at, or maybe we should broaden it for you, any time you felt laughed at, Blind Boy. The first time you felt laughed at. Uh, what does laughed at mean now? Because there's different, does it mean laughed at in a mean way? In a or mean way, or whatever way. If you were the class clown and you loved being the class clown, whatever it was. First time I was laughed at. Again, probably my... Ah, br- oh, yeah, yeah, I had a thing for fucking uh, 
little girl's shoes. Thank God you completed that sentence. So I when know. I was... No, 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 no. My ma took me shoe shopping when I was about four years of age. And... I just fucking loved the... She was showing me all the boys' shoes, you know? And then I saw the girls' shoes were patent leather. So it was the same as the boys' shoe, but it was just mad shiny, like a bowling ball. And I was just to my ma, I'm, I want them fucking shoes, ma. I want them shoes. And she was like, no, you're wearing the boys' shoes. And I'm like, ma, I want the fucking shiny shoes, fuck them. So she eventually gave me the patent leather shiny shoes. Yeah. And then all my brothers laughed at me for wearing girls' shoes. So I suppose that's my earliest memory of being laughed at. But were you... Were and you I never fucking wore them again. Watch me with my dad's shoes. But that goes to show you were sure of yourself from a young age. You didn't care. You did your own thing. Uh, no, I cared when all my brothers laughed at me. Um, that was actually, yeah, that was a crippling moment in learning uh, judgment. So prior to that moment, I didn't understand society's rules as to... Because it's silly. Like, oh, little girls have shiny shoes, not little boys. And I'm like, well, shiny shoes are better than fucking dull shoes. Like, look at your lovely wellies. Thank you. I, there, there's a deep part of my unconscious mind that would like to wear those fucking shiny wellies. Why don't you do it? Because I won't, because someone's going to come, come along and say, why are you wearing girls' wellies? You're supposed to wear green boys' wellies that are covered in muck, not your gorgeous, immaculate, patterned wellies. 15 euro in Heaton's. You got them in Heaton's? Yeah. I got the, one of, some of the best wellies, and I'm glad you asked me about wellies now. <laughs> some of the best wellies I ever got in my life were in Heaton's. I went beyond the welly section to the fucking, the workman's clothes yeah, section, yeah, yeah. and I got these brown wellies that have a steel toe cap. Where and are they? Why don't you have them today? I, I fucking left them at home. Ah, fuck. Yeah, and I got a text this morning off my man, bring your fucking wellies, and I was halfway up to Port Leash. <laughs> Heaton's is underrated. Um, so, you talked a bit about that age. What were you like in school? What was school like for you? Um, I learned at a very... What was I like in school? I was very, very bold. I used to love messing. I fucking loved it. I loved disrupting things. I loved trying to be smarter than the teacher if I was getting caught, you know what I mean? I, I, what I used to do is I used to withhold knowledge. So I would not do my homework and I'd misbehave. But then when you got a punishment essay, where it's like, you've been acting the bollocks all day, so now you must write an essay about the inside of a tennis ball. Because that, that, that was one of the punishments. The teacher would give you a pointless essay to write. Then I used to shine. <laughs> so in the punishment essay, I would write really well-structured, you know, good use of English and hand in the punishment essay and go... <laughs> I could be way better if I wanted to, but I won't, because I'm such a rebel. <laughs> Probably should have been more mature, but uh, no, that's what I... And then, no, as I got older, what, like, what, in Limerick, you kind of, you had to do a lot of fighting in the schoolyard, right? It was, lads would come up and try and hit you a slap, and then you had to hit them a slap back, and that was fine. Then other lads start getting testosterone ar uh, earlier than I did, so now, all of a sudden, I've got someone who smells like sweat and has hair on their balls punching me, and I don't. So they're three or four times as strong. So that's when I learned to, oh, shit, if I just make them laugh, then I don't have to punch them in the face, and I don't have to get punched in the face. So that's when I discovered um, that I could be funny. When I was about 12 or 13, and other lads were bigger. Yeah. It was a, a mechanism to get out of the system of 
masculinity being defi- defined by how well you can fight. Yeah. Um, if you're the funny person, no one will fight you. No one wants to fight you. And if there's different cliques of lads, and because one of the shittiest things being a teenager was if you're in one group of lads and then one of those lads has a problem with another group of lads, everyone has to get involved. And I'm not interested in conflict or any of that shit and I never wanted fighting, I hated it. Mm. But because I would be the one who'd make everyone laugh on both groups, I was excluded from it. So that really worked for me and yeah, I just fell into a, I suppose class clown is the way to say it. Yeah. You know, and I do think the real learning that I did in school was not academic learning, but I learned the ability to to make groups of people laugh and to get a sense of... I mean, look, my leaving cert suffered terribly as a result. <laughs> but luckily, I managed to make a career out of it. But, but that, that, was is, the that interest that you have for history and politics and whatnot, you, that was always there, obviously. But you just didn't really nurture it till mm-hmm. you got older. I, yeah. Um, once I got out of secondary school, when I got to maybe 21, 22... That's when I would look back at the shit that I was actually being taught in school. Yeah. Like history and English and poetry. Yeah. And I used to kind of cringe at myself and go, holy fuck, all this stuff is amazing. I know. Like I was able to go into school on a Monday morning and the teacher is talking about Keats or Shelley. And I instead was just drawing pictures of Tupac on my copybook and thinking about hash. But (laughs) I should have been actually thinking back. I kind of missed the fact that I didn't engage and listen. So I... As an act of guilt in my early 20s, I kind of went back and relearned all the shit I should have been learning, do you know? And, but it made me realize too that, in fairness, a lot of what was taught to me in school was taught to me in a very boring fashion. I know. It wasn't, if you're lucky, you'll get a teacher who really cares about what they're saying and they'll find a way to engage you and how they're talking about it and find the really interesting facts. But other than that it was just really boring off the book stuff it makes such a difference my English teacher Mr Murphy when he was teaching us King Lear used to like jump up on the tables roll around the floor yeah. and you remembered it then and there you, you cared go. about it there you go that's, uh, that's someone who has passion about what they're doing but there was others who just didn't give a shit yeah. and they're just reading off the book so I don't want to go blaming the education system too but you know no, I was into creativity I was into painting I I was into learning, but I didn't know I was into learning. Yeah. And I only realized it later, you know what I mean? Um, I don't want to say I wasted my time in school as well, because genuinely, when I think back to secondary school, I, I literally just remember roaring laughing. Yeah. That's why when you say to me, talk about your laughs, I've had so many laughs, I can't <laughs> differentiate them. So okay, I right. think I've just been laughing continually for about 15 years. Okay, well then this one isn't really too much about laughter. The moment where if you didn't laugh, you'd cry in life. If you, if you didn't laugh... You cry. I'm not great at the old crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not much of a crier. I, I feel pain in a different level. Um, I cried when my cat died. That was it, yeah. It was actually, yeah, it was uh, 2015. My cat died that morning and I had to gig in body and soul. And I was up on stage singing horse outside and ruining the song because I'm crying through the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about my poor cat. Um, that was the last time I cried. And usually if I receive incredibly upsetting news, I, I don't cry. That's not the natural reaction I go to. Because part of my mental health philosophy is recognizing and understanding suffering as 
an inevitable and necessary part of simply being alive. So you can't go through life expecting happiness all the time. Horrible disappointment, rejection, pain, these things are part of being alive. So what I like to do is to embrace them in an existential fashion where I'm going, this shit is also, this is as important as happiness. And you can't have one without the other. And what I've also learned too is when you process pain, disappointment, rejection, grief in that fashion where you embrace it in an existential fashion, you end up processing it in quite a healthy fashion. So even for something like me, like when I was 21, my dad died, you know, and that was heartbreaking. But I can look back in that and I go, wow, look at how, look at the person I am now as a result of that. Look at how that has changed and formed me. Look at the, it was like getting belted into the head with the hammer of adulthood. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was that moment where you have to be an adult now. And I've learned from that. So the last time I cried was because my cat died. And what, what broke my heart about it was, is when my, d- I didn't really cry when my dad died. I was sad. But the thing is, he was, in, he was 70. He'd gotten sick. And you're able to find great meaning in a death like that. When someone dies in, in a bed with their family around them, it's sad, but you're actually able to go, that's death with great meaning. There's great meaning to that. And it, it ripples on to the people around them. And he, I'd like to die like that, surrounded by people I love. You know what I'm saying? At, at, an, at an age like 70. But with my cat... It was just this little fluffy little creature who 100% depended purely on me for yeah. all of its needs. And there was an utter pointlessness in that cat's death. I couldn't find meaning in the death of that cat. It was just, he ended up, I, he got poisoned, I think. He ended up with liver disease. He ate something bad, a dead rat or something, and got a very aggressive liver disease. And you're just watching him die going... I can reach into all my existentialism, all my looking at Buddhist philosophy, but I cannot put meaning on the death of this poor little cat who just looks up to me for love. And because I'd raised him since he was a kitten, and he just associates me with, there's that person who cuddles me, there's that person who gives me food, there's that person who keeps me safe. Why are they allowing me die? Why am I rotting from the inside out? Why aren't you doing anything? So that for me, that made me cry. I cried like a fucking baby. I could not. I yeah. couldn't rationalize it. I, and still to this day, it breaks my heart. I know. Whereas and there's something about a pet dying that you're like, there are humans I know that I would prefer to die than this to happen. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fact. How do you find meaning in a dog getting hit by a car? Let's go, what happened to your dog? Oh, it was just a beautiful thing of nature. This truck came down the road and it was the natural order of things and he just got hit into the head and I saw his brains. You can't find meaning in that. Yeah. You know, you can find no. meaning in a parent's death. It's it, like, it's yeah. sad, but you go, here, like, this loss can usher me into becoming a new person. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. I'm not becoming a new person after my cat died. I'm just fucking sickened. <laughs> And now I've got two stray <laughs> cats out the back garden, and I, I love them. And if the battle would go on, you're not as good as the last cat. <laughs> Do you know? So that's a lot of darkness. Okay, blind boy. And I'm scared of fucking getting too attached to them now. That's the thing. Yeah. Here's actually, yeah. So this cat I had that died, that was a pet. That was a choice. Yeah. I raised it. Now what am I fucking living with? Two feral cats who won't let me touch them. <laughs> 
because they're so wild. So I still feed them. I still have glances of love. Yeah. But I will never touch these cats. And I think my unconscious mind has led me to caring for two feral cats to avoid pain. I know. Because if they die, I only half give a shit. It reminds me... Because feral cats, they get their eyes pecked out by crows. I can live with that. That's natural. You've PTSD, basically. My A little bit, yeah. I wouldn't call it that now, but a small bit. It reminds me of my sister, Avian. Um, How are you, Amy? What's the crack? Avian. Avian. Aideen or Amy? Avian. Avian. Oh, halfway between Amy and Aideen. When she had her... God bless. When she had her first boyfriend... Um, my dad absolutely fell in love with him. Like lo- he played, he played Gaelic football. Like went to Jarlets and Tume. It was like because we were born and reared in Dublin, so it was the dream. My dad's from Clare, so it was yeah. the dream for. At least he was west. At least he was yeah, a west yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played football, and he was so attached to him. And anyway, it ended. And my dad was beyond. Oh gutted. my god! For weeks, he was like, never again. I am never getting attached to a boyfriend ever again. <laughs> they can fuck off unless they're married. They can fuck off. <laughs> So, okay, right, blind boy. Your no laughing matter moment in life. I know you've talked about your dad's death, but a moment where shit hit the fan and there was no room for laughter. Ah, um... I do struggle with that, with climate change. That's the one thing where I'm kind of... Yeah, I almost feel it unethical to satirize or laugh at it because action is so important. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, most other things, like even they're talking about the cat, I was able to make it funny. So as a sense, I am processing some of it through laughter, even course, though it breaks yeah. my heart. There isn't much. Listen, look, I'm not. I'm, I, I'll really try and not laugh at anything where I'm punching down. Hmm. Do you know? Uh, laughing at people who have less rights or laughing at where I'm coming at it from a point of privilege looking at someone who has less rights I, tr- I, I don't think that's cool to laugh at do you know what I mean no. and, you know so like I was watching uh, do you know the comedian Dave Chappelle mm. like I was watching his, his new Netflix special and it was hilarious I was roaring laughing but then he got to a bit about trans people and I couldn't laugh even though I knew the jokes were funny I got a real sense of your jokes are only the tip of the iceberg of what you say in private. Yeah. I got a real sense. The rest of it, like he was making jokes about things that were problematic. He was slagging woke culture. He was making jokes about uh, LGBT. All of that, I could kind of go, oh, that's funny. But when he got to the trans bit, I'm like, no, no. When those doors are closed, I think you say some nasty shit and I can tell this is coming through your comedy. So something like that, I can't laugh at. No matter how mechanically structured and, and how sound the jokes are, if if it if my own natural sense of compassion, if some type of red flag comes up there, I'm like, nah. No. You know, it's it's like um I don't know, shock jokes. Yeah. You know, people who tell jokes about sexual assault or d- d- uh, the one big one in school was like dead baby jokes. I don't I never found it funny. Ever, ever, ever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. E- even though some people be rolling around the floor laughing, it just it's like something would click in my heart where I'd go, nah. I'm not, I'm not with that, you know? So I think anything where you're punching down, it is tough for me to laugh about it. Okay. The person, blind boy, that you always laugh with, can you tell us? Can you share? Mr. Chrome. <laughs> Mr. Chrome. Uh, tell, it, tell me about that relationship. We're just... Me and Mr. Chrome met in school and we used to just roar laughing into each other's faces. That, that was it. It was just like, here is the person who... 
if I was making a joke, he knew what the joke was going to be before I finished it. And <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah. when me and him get together, we just roar screaming, laughing at whatever bullshit we're talking about. And if we're disciplined, that usually turns into a song or a, or a something, you know. So, yeah, me and Chrome, we get together screaming, roaring, laughing. So what, what was it like to get successful with your best friend? Um, good crack. But the thing is, is that we didn't get successful by making things that other people like. We got successful because we would sit together in a room and try and make each other laugh as much as possible and then record it. And we were lucky enough for other people to find that funny. So once you get... One of the problems with success when it comes to creativity, it's not necessarily criticism. It's being able to read and see what other people like about what you're doing. And that can be freaky because often the shit that I find funny about my own stuff yeah. is not what other, other people like the shit that I didn't think was funny. Yeah. And then I start going, fuck it, do I even know what funny is? Who am I? Yeah. So that was the challenge really is trying to maintain the relationship where we're both making sure we're fucking laughing at each other's jokes here and not kind of going, what do the 14 year olds from Louth want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So that, and it's one of the challenges that happens when you get into professional creativity and all of a sudden what you love is your job yeah. so it's like if this next song isn't funny then it doesn't make money and I have to go to Foss then you don't <laughs> want that like you know what I mean so it, it's it's a weird one okay a time where you blind boy sorry my dress has gone very short a time where you had the last laugh now generally my guests will be like I don't like having the last laugh I think everyone likes to have the last laugh at some point um when I was 17, I went to Spin Southwest in Limerick, which was a newly established radio station, and they were looking for morning radio comedy. So I gave them like a load of sketches that are now have millions of views online. And I gave them these and I said, uh, how are you getting on? You don't know me, but I'm, I think I'd be handy at comedy on your Limerick radio station. <laughs> and then they said, no, I don't think this would be relevant to 18 to 35 year olds. And then I left and then got a name for myself. So I think that's my last laugh, getting rejected at 17 by Spin South West and now not even going on Spin South West. I try, I try not to think like that, but in moments of, of low confidence, um, it is nice to look at times when people who you would have... I was crushed by that, you know what I mean? Because I yeah, was only a kid, so I'm going, oh shit, the big radio station thinks I'm not good at comedy. And I nearly gave up, but I didn't. So it's good to look back at rejections and just say to yourself, just because someone has a position of power or because someone is a commissioner doesn't mean they have it right. No. Do you know? So I don't mean that in a bad way about Spins Out West as well, because it was just someone doing their job, you know? And how do you handle rejection generally? Um, you have to incorporate rejection and its inevitability into your creative process. Especially, you know yourself, if you're working in TV, like rejection is part of the game. Like you have to, the skill is to, you have to include failure as part of your process. You have to aim to actually fail because what the, the, there's no such thing as failure. If you, in, in any creative endeavor, if you simply try and you make something and you've made something creative and it exists, even if every TV station rejects it, even if it doesn't get any views, 
you have succeeded at making something. The only actual failure is producing nothing because you were scared to do it. That's the only real failure. So if I continually try and do things and they mightn't get anywhere or get any views or nothing, I know that, like I've had a bunch of shit that flapped or stuff that got rejected. And then two years later, some of the core ideas turn into something that did get accepted. Yeah. Like uh, the books that I write of short stories, there's a ton of fucking ideas in those books that would have started off maybe 10 years ago as something I pitched to TV. And now they're in a book that's a bestseller. So therefore, how are those ideas failures, you know? So rejection and failure are an inevitable part of the creative process. They're a part of being a professional creative. And the way to do it is... Is that tea pain? (laughs) Sounds like tea pain just outside with a fucking megaphone. (laughs) I'm going to interrupt the podcast. (laughs) But yeah, the, the trick is... When failure is an inevitable part of the process, you have to have several pots on the hob at once. Yeah. So that's why at the moment, like, the shittiest thing about my job is I'm ridiculously busy. Yeah. I've got, I've just finished writing a book. I've got a BBC series coming out. I've got the podcast that I just did. I'm now looking at turning the short story into a play. Um, I'm continually on tour. So those are five insanely busy things. But I know two of them will fail. So you have to keep them all there and just be ridiculously selfish with your time. How do you stay sane when you're that busy? Um, I don't know how to switch off. Neither do Gen- I. Genuinely, yeah, I can't switch off. So it's, it's what I used to say. Now, I no longer like Conor McGregor, but one thing I used to enjoy... What you say? You no longer like him? I don't really like him yeah, anymore, right. no. I, I, I used to think it was a character, but now I think he, he might be a bit of a, a, bad, a bad guy. You know, um... Because of a couple of things, you know? Yeah. But uh, one thing I used to really admire about him is that when he spoke about fighting, all he would talk about is his obsession and passion. He would talk about never being able to switch off. He would speak about his love of movement, how he could never... Because I don't understand sports. Yeah. But I could understand Conor McGregor when he was talking about how much he cared about his thing that he was doing. So I'm like that. I can't switch off. Do you know? I'm e- right now, I'm less busy than I was two weeks ago. But even if I give myself three hours to just play Xbox, immediately I'm thinking of a new idea. So I just, that's how I operate. I'm continually, what I try and do is make sure that how I am is also how I earn money. And then I'm fine. I'd hate to have a brain like this and then also be working in an office doing something I I don't like, do you know? So you don't beat yourself up a bit. See, I beat myself up. I'm like, but I need to be able to, to, to chill. I need to enjoy yoga. I need to... But you don't beat yourself. You just accept it and plow on. I accept it and I plow on and I make sure that I'm enjoying myself. And also as well, I understand the toxicity of uh, forced leisure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Organized fun. Yeah. Or or even like, uh, like I love a few cans and a couple of joints. I love that as a way to unwind. But I will not... I will only allow myself to have cans and a smoke if I feel that that's a reward. Yeah. If I'm busy and I have things on my mind, I know that if I sit down for cans and giants, I'm going to have a bad time. So I make sure that it's there as a reward system for me. Do you know what I'm saying? So I I don't really... No matter what I do, even if I go on holiday, I will say to myself, I'm going on holiday because this relaxation will inspire some creativity in my head. 
I'm happy to operate like that, you know? Yeah. As long as I'm creating, I'm happy. When I'm not creating, I'm not happy. That's when my mental health issues come in. Okay. Am if I rambling? No. Okay. If laughter wasn't the best medicine, <laughs> what would be? And I think I know the answer. I think Penicillin, penicillin. Oh. <laughs> Actually, no, it's not. Because I was speaking to an immunologist earlier on. Turns out penicillin isn't too great. We're becoming resistant to it. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What's the fucking best medicine? Um, Cats. Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah. Do you know what? The, the, pure, uh, the pure, unselfish love that you can exclusively feel for an animal. There is something exclusive and beautiful to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, it's just an animal doing their thing. A dog licking his balls. A cat fucking... There's something so pure about a little dog or a cat just coming up for a little cuddle. I fucking love it. Oh. And they can be funny as well. And the humility of them, and the fact that they, you know, they don't get jealous, they don't have contempt. The, the, the animals are just beautiful. So yeah, time with animals. Time with animals. Yeah, that's a, that's very therapeutic, hugely therapeutic. Yeah. Okay, are you ready for your quick fire round? Yeah, fuck it, go on. <laughs> <laughs> the movie that you always laugh at. I don't really find films funny. <laughs> This is a fucking oh disaster. Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I can't remember the last time I laughed at a fucking film. All right, we'll move along. Yeah, the, pass the, on that. The, the actor or actress that you always laugh at? <laughs> I don't fucking like movies. Uh, Chris Morris from Brass Eye. I keep going back to that. It's not a, he's not a film star. <laughs> I don't laugh at any film stars. Okay, the book that made you laugh out loud. The third Policeman, Flann O'Brien. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I was in the play version of that in college. Fuck off, were you? Yeah. Was it good crack? Unreal. There you go now. Okay. Uh, the comedian you always laugh at. I nearly said Dave Chappelle there, but um, I, I, I like a bit of Bill Burr. I like to turn on Bill Burr. It's a kind of switch my brain off if I don't want to think too much. He just does direct belly laughs without too much thinking. So I do enjoy a bit of Bill Burr, yeah. And finally, Blind Boy. Your worst or best joke? How do you make a woman scream an hour after sex? <laughs> Wipe her dick in the curtain. <laughs> Blind boy, everybody. Thank you very much, lads. God bless. Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch. Tweet me at Theron Garrahy. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review, and all those other things. This podcast is recorded in collaborative studios. Mm-hmm.